Good morning. It's a great little video to put worship in perspective. Good to have you uh, in worship with us today. We are uh, in the book of Romans. We are in chapter 14, looking at how Christians should live in gray areas of life where God has not specifically said anything. What should you do? Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 through 23, 10 verses, which piece of cake. I didn't say when we were going to finish. Should be about 30 minutes from now. Point one of five points. So, staying in there. It's good to have you. Uh, have you had conversations about gray areas at lunch with your children and teens and college students? Uh, many have, uh, which is great uh, to talk about these things. Uh, because this is where maturity occurs. It's when we learn like how to navigate in areas where God is not exactly clear. Uh, let's go to prayer as we look at what Paul says. Father, we uh, thank you just uh, for the opportunity to open the word of life. Uh, it is uh, light to the path, as Paul says uh, in the Psalter. Uh, and we pray for uh, you to illumine our path today, that we would learn more how to live in areas uh, where there's not exact scripture saying what we as Christians should do. And uh, might we mature uh, and be deepened because of our exposure to the scriptures today. And uh, take the things that we talk about here today and use them also as a vehicle by which to bring the gospel of life and light to those who don't know you. And we praise you for what you'll accomplish in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, gray areas uh, typically pop up uh, when you least expected them. Uh, years ago, there was uh, two students at Dallas Seminary. This was back in the 70s, early 70s. Uh, and they didn't uh, have a lot of money. And so uh, to get around in downtown Dallas, they would walk, these two buddies. Uh, now, bear in mind, these are two uh, future uh, um, pastors of churches. Actually, one of them became a professor uh, at, at the seminary, uh, eventually. So two, two godly young men wanting to do what God wanted them to do. So both of them love the law of God, uh, understand the importance of obeying the law. But this was put to test when they went for a walk downtown Dallas. Uh, they uh, came to a crosswalk. And perhaps you'll remember back in the day when uh, the crosswalks didn't have the little meter to tell you how much time you have. Yeah, now they actually tell you, you have three seconds to cover 50 yards. Uh, but, but back then, uh, you're kind of on your own. So back then, it was just, you know, the walk sign or the don't walk sign, or they had a little hand that would come up when they were really getting innovative. And so these two students were standing waiting for the light to change in a major intersection. And so the light changed, and the little hand uh, went away and told them they couldn't go, and it said walk. So they began to proceed across the intersection. Halfway through the intersection, the little hand came back up. Spiritual decision. Uh, one of them enjoyed his liberty in Jesus and kept walking, went to the, went to the other side of the street. Uh, his buddy turned around and walked back from whence they came because he didn't want to break the law. And so the one that's on the other side of the street is looking back at his friend at the other side of the street. And he's like, what is your problem? You know, I don't want to break the law. So I would submit to you, uh, you have two different kinds of Christians here, do you not? <laughs> yeah. And they're in every church. They're in our church. Uh, you have the strong Christian and the weak Christian. You have the mature Christian and the immature Christian. The problem is the immature Christian um, thinks that they're the mature Christian. But the immature Christian usually has much, much more law about them, much more laws, rules, and regulations. So thou shalt not break the law, according to the weaker pastoral student, uh, is I cannot break the law, so I have to go back to the other side of the, the street and wait till I can actually make it across. Well, the timing ain't going to change, but... I would submit to you, that young, young man is probably still standing there. It's been 50 years now. Uh, the other guy proceeded across the intersection because in Jesus, he's the stronger Christian. He understands God's not going to really have a problem with me, you know, flexing a bit on the law. Do you think God really cares how you cross a walk? I mean, no. 
But, but it did in their minds. And so they had this discussion about law and legalism. Uh, you had two Christians here. And so I submit to you, that's how quickly a gray area can pop up. It's like, well, that's exactly what Marty was talking about. An area, scriptures are not clear. There's no thou shalt, you know, obey all crosswalk signals, but you know, what? Uh, and then all of a sudden you have a gray area. So what is a gray area? It's an area where God did not say something explicitly. So then what do you do? So some Christians are wound tighter. That'd be me. I'll totally, this is a confessional booth. I'll totally say, I tend to be more like Moses. So I'm, I like laws, rules, regulations. It's just how I was raised. Dad was law enforcement. I get, I get it. It's just how I function. So I've had to learn more about the grace side of things as I've gone through my Christian walk. Some Christians are a little uh, looser, but I don't say, I don't mean morally looser. They're just freer. And so, you know, I've had a hard time understanding their freedom and I've had to grow in that. And they have had a hard time understanding laws, rules, and regulations. So um, there's both kinds of Christians. So uh, if we had a show of hands and I tried it in the last service, but it didn't work. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like how many strong Christians do we have here? Mature Christians. No hands are going to go up. One, one, two, three. Praise God. Because a strong, mature Christian is going to go, well, I I can't put up my hand because that would be total arrogance to say, yes, I am mature in Jesus. When my husband's probably looking at me going, why is your hand up? But that that type of thing. Uh, You know, how many weak Christians here are immature Christians? No, no hands are going to go up. You know, it's like, a, that's too personal to talk about. But you just figure it out in your own mind. Because you probably already know, because this is our third sermon on said subject. You probably already know which one you are, right? Because the Spirit of God already put his finger on your life and said, Dan, that's you. So how do you maintain peace in a body of Christ, in a family, uh, in your life, when it comes to gray areas? How do you function? Because this is where division starts. And so uh, Paul in Romans 14 addresses the Roman church, who has huge issues between Jews, who are all about laws, rules, and regulations. Getting saved, came to Jesus as the Messiah, then they brought all that to church. And they're sitting there with a whole lot of Gentiles who are from the Roman culture, and theirs is a little bit more about liberty. And they, they, they collide in the church, and it creates a problem. So in chapter 14, to go over the main motif of the chapter, in case you forgot, uh, week three, same motif, same theme. What does God desire in the church with Christians? Unity, above all things. Not disunity. And he wants it in gray areas. Areas where he didn't say something explicitly. So let's review what we've talked about thus far. We've covered five keys to unity uh, in case you forgot them. You should be actually not just knowing these. Oh, I know those. The question is how well you know them, but how many times the, the key has gone through your life. Have you applied it? So key number one, mature saints who enjoy freedom in gray areas should do what? Mm, I should accept immature Christians. Who are like, well, they'll eventually figure out that's not that big of a deal. But in the meantime, I'll accept them. Or, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I can accept them. Key number two, check your attitude with non-essentials. Whether you're a mature Christian or an immature Christian, always check your attitude because your attitude, well, it can be a wrong kind of attitude toward them. Um, unity key number three, judge justly, not unjustly. Is my judgment about this Christian in a gray area based on facts, biblical facts, or is it just my personal preference masquerading as a principle? Uh, so what is, what is my judgment? Which leads to concept number uh, four, uh, as we talked about in verses five to six, let your conscience be your guide because you have a conscience. God gave it to you. It's that little thing that tells you it shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this. You shouldn't be saying that. You shouldn't be going there. You shouldn't be driving that past. Fast. The pastor's right next to you. That type of thing. Uh, your, your conscience. Okay. Uh, and I've actually had some of you pass me uh, as I've gone down to the Pentagon on the freeway. It's actually funny when it happens. 
But I can't communicate with you because I don't know your phone number, but I see but I see you. So let your conscience be your guide. Like what's my conscience tell me? Five miles over the speed limit's okay? See? About thirty. Okay, no. Okay. Uh, and then unity key number five, note how you judge in the here and now is going to be your method of judgment in the hereafter. That's highly motivational. So you're going to give account to God for how you judged in situations that were gray between brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. How'd you do? Did you fail miserably? What's Jesus going to say? Are you ready to give account to Jesus? That's how you should live your life. We want to add some uh, keys, actually, four more keys this morning. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to two ladies who had an issue in uh, the Church of Philippi. And their names are forever inscripturated because they had an issue. Could you imagine getting included in the Word of God and it was over a problem you had with another lady? Who would volunteer for that? Not me. Not me. Yeah. So what are their names? Uh, Euodia and Syntyche. What does Paul tell them? Um, he says to them as a pastor, I urge, or it's a really good idea, for Euodia and, and I urge Zenteki to live in harmony in the Lord. Or translated, in your situation, you know what the situation is, figure out how Jesus would function in that situation and do that and find peace. Now, I've often wondered as a pastor, I wonder what the issue was between Euodia and Zenteki. Haven't you ever wondered? I mean, what are, I, you have a list of questions you're going to ask Jesus when you see him? Is this one at the top? Hey, God, I'm so glad to be in heaven. I'm kind of wondering about Yodia. Is she here? I'd like to talk. What was the issue that they had? Well, so I've often wondered. Uh, because in my pastoral career of the last, I don't know, 32 years, I've run into Yodia and Sinteki all over the place. Hmm? Where was this? Oh, the tablecloth. Yeah, you remember that sermon? Yeah, yeah, that was Yodia and Sinteki. Yeah. Uh, I'll introduce you to another Yodia and Sinteki. They have twins and triplets all over the place. And we talk in this church just right from the... Thank you. Yeah, I forgot about that sermon. You remember it. That's totally true, is it not? Yeah, the, the tablecloth, checkered or white. Do you remember that? Excellent. If I, <laughs> I, I turned 62 right after Christmas. Okay, bear in mind. That's to be gracious. Next sermon series. Okay. So, so you know, you audience the techie. So I, I've run into them, and I'll, I'll submit to you another situation where I ran into them. Uh, when we were planning my last church, uh, we went from a school uh, to our first building, converted grocery store, totally excited, first church in the denomination to do this. Uh, and it was fun. We, we were like the only church in town that had a truck bay. So when we get deliveries, I, I, you know, uh, where do you want this, uh, you know, this couch and everything to come? Well, truck bay number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally cool. You have a truck bay? Yeah. This is a great church with a truck bay. But anyway, so we took over this grocery store and we were, we we're building it out, gutted it and building it out to what we wanted. And so we are building office space and everything, uh, classrooms, etc. And, and so we built a nursery. I mean, how hard can it be to build a nursery? Not hard. At least in my early 30s, I didn't think it was a big deal. So we formed the Nursery Decoration Committee. <laughs> oh, first mistake. Anyway, so we challenged some ladies to be on there and to pick a, pick a color. How hard can that be? Not hard. You know, you know, you put a couple guys on there and they just, hey, whatever. <laughs> 49ers are playing at three. Just pick one. You know, the ladies, ladies are like, I don't know. I've got all these color wheels, all these. Things. So it became this huge thing. So they divided into two camps. Camp number one was for, led by one lady. There were over more, more of the pastel baby blue kind of colors, you know. Nope, wallpaper, chair rail around the perimeter, and kind of a, a, a pastel blue, okay? Team one. Team two, led by one lady, and she's the only person on the team. <laughs> she's for 
like a light yellow. Okay, so they eventually talked this out and voted. And uh, which one do you think won? Blue one. Blue one. Yeah, how many be for yellow? Okay, we'll pray for you. you yeah. Yeah, yellow, yeah. So, so, so the lady didn't win. And so um, they made a decision what it was going to be. I knew it was going to be blue. Uh, and so I came to the church on a Monday morning, and I'm, I you know, pressed the security code, came in, set my briefcase down. I'm like, wow, it smells like paint. <laughs> oh, I've seen everything as a pastor. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't think we painted. Uh, and so I was walking around to find out what happened, and I, I opened the door to the nursery, and it was yellow. With wallpaper all around the perimeter and a chair rail. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. We're not talking about the deity of Christ, the inerrancy of the word. We're talking about blue or yellow. Is it a gray area? Does God really care? Does he look down from heaven and go, thou shalt not paint it yellow? No, he doesn't care. Just work this out. It's a gray area. And so I ran into you, Odie, and Senteki. Because you can imagine how that went over when Senteki did this behind the back of Euodia. And Senteki eventually left the church over it and other issues that she kind of created. I've ran into them before. So you, we can laugh at that now, but back at the day when I was like 32, this was extremely painful. It's like, why can't they just get along, et cetera? So it's a gray area. So let's get into too convicting. Let's move into the unity keys because Yodia and Senteki are sitting here thinking, I did that at my last church. I thought it was okay. But anyway, moving on. So unity key number six, uh, don't be a problem for other saints. These two ladies forgot to read this. Verses 13 to 15. Paul says, therefore, let me summarize my arguments thus far in chapter 14. Let us as Christians not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. What, Paul? Well, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother or sister's way. Oh, they didn't read that, did they? Uh, no. And so what we have here in the Greek text is you have the, the very first word in the text is a negative, no. Uh, in your English text, it's the word therefore to make it read easier. But in the Greek text, it's no. When you put the negative at the beginning of the sentence like that, it makes it extremely emphatic what he's going to say. It's like he's underlining what he's going to say. Or he built a speed bump in the road to say, I need to slow you down. You need to really think about what I'm going to say as I summarize how to live in gray areas. He says, do not ever be guilty of being an obstacle or a stumbling block to another Christian. Wow. Could you imagine the life that would come to many churches if they all applied that? And so Paul says, let's, let's talk about this. And so what should saints focus on? They should focus on uh, two things built around two images. And I'll, I'll give you the two images because Paul puts the cookies on the lower shelf in their culture so they could totally understand what he's talking about. A stumbling block. Uh, a stumbling block was originally a coinage term that referred to the force used to make a coin. And eventually, etymologically, became a word that denoted uh, causing somebody to stumble, because if you stumble over somebody that you weren't expecting, like, I'm, hey, your husband says, hey, what are you doing at church? I'm on the nursery committee. It's so wonderful. Have you made a decision yet? No. Okay, great. You're going to find it may not be as wonderful as what you think, because there could be a stumbling block there. And when these two ladies ran into each other, all of a sudden, one's tripping all over the other one, the force of it all. So this word denotes being a stumbling block. I have a picture of what it might look like for you to consider. That could be you. Well, that, what's wrong with that? That's just how I am in the body of Christ. I'm, a, I'm just there to kind of slow them down. Really, this is not a spiritual gift to be a stumbling block. And trust me, I've run into these people. They move from church to church. Pastors talk to each other. I was with a pastor one time explaining a person to me in detail. 
and I, I named the person. <laughs> you know them? Mm-hmm. I'll pray for you. <laughs> yeah. Because that person was a stumbling block. Thought it was their spiritual gift. Went from church to church creating disunity. So don't, Paul says, don't ever be guilty of that when it comes to a gray area. Don't do that. Uh, is that you? Do you cause people to stumble? Uh, I submit to you a situation that is just shocking. I explained it to my wife coming to church today because she wanted to know what my illustrations were. So I told her what they were. She almost drove off the road. She's like, that's unbelievable. So I submit to you this illustration. Wait just a minute. Let me get it going here. Skippy. Do you, do you like Skippy peanut butter? Creamy, chunky? Yeah, I like chunky, creamy. It, does it matter which one spiritually you eat? Well, you know, yes, it does me. Okay, well, okay, we'll pray for your family. Okay, they're having a marital situation up here. So it doesn't really matter. It's, not, it's an amoral thing, is it not? Right? Okay. So there was a family years ago, according to Chuck Swindoll, that uh, went to the mission field, and their family, they were a young family, so first opportunity to go on the mission field to Africa. So they go through all the training, raise support, etc. wind up on the mission field. They love peanut butter. And their kids love peanut butter. And so they eat it like most of their meals. I don't, but that's what they did. And so you couldn't get this in Africa where they were, so they had their sponsors ship it to them. What's wrong with that? Would you have a problem with that? Now, the problem was the older missionaries, the wiser missionaries who had been in the country for much longer couldn't get peanut butter, so they'd come up with a spiritual rule. I didn't say anything funny yet, so... Thou shalt basically not eat peanut butter because no other Christian can get it. And spiritual people give it up for Jesus. So they're eating peanut butter behind the scenes, not knowing this is a spiritual rule. But it's really a preference, hiding as a principle. And they, they continue to eat. And then the older missionaries found out that they had this illegal contraband in their house. <laughs> Maybe you go to Costco, you buy it in mass, don't you? Like enough for like 10 years, you know? And so they had this uh, in their house, and so they, the older missionaries found out about it, that they made it so difficult on that young couple that they left the mission field and they never went back into ministry. Sad, isn't it? And you can sit there and think, because people have come up to tell me after church, yeah, I've seen that kind of activity destroy lives, doesn't it? Destroys lives, destroys churches, destroys the unity of a church, destroys a young missionary couple. So Paul says, don't do anything like devising a rule about Skippy peanut butter that's going to that's gonna negatively impact other Christians. Don't do that. So what should the older Christians have done? Let the younger family do what? Eat away. Eat away. And how do, how do you go about getting that? Etc. So this is the imagery, assembly block. A second image Paul uses is don't be an obstacle. Uh, and I'll give you the Greek word, which when you hear it, you will understand how quickly you can learn Greek. It's simple. Are you ready? So the Greek word for obstacle is scandalone. Sca scandalone. Sounds a lot. Every DC person should understand this word. Uh, sc scandalone. Not standalone. Scandalone. What, what does that sound like? Scandalous. Yeah, you're right. It's scandalous. So he says, don't live your Christian life in such a way that you, you're creating scandals all around you. Now, what's really interesting, if you trace this word etymologically, how it developed, because words change over time, don't they? Like back in the 60s when one of my friends would, you know, buy a really nice car, it was like, that's a bad car. Bad mint. Good. Bad can also mean that's too bad for you. You know, it's a set. But anyway, so etymology. So this particular word used to mean a trap. A trap. 
So I submit to you the mousetrap. We all know how this functions, correct? I don't really have to see the peanut butter. That's a spiritual issue for the mouse. <laughs> the mice all know this. Yeah, so that is kind of funny. I didn't even think about that. When I, yeah. You always get more in this service. It takes a couple services to dawn on me. So, so, so this is how some Christians are, aren't they? I've run into them before. You know, because they're like a mousetrap. And they're going to nail you over some issue that's a gray area. And they're thinking, that is the most important issue in Christendom. And you reach for the coveted contraband, bam. Yeah, they, they've totally got you. They're going to, a guy that did this to me one time, this is what he told me after he, I, I drifted into the gray area. And then he, the wiser Christian, verbally nails me. He then tells me this, after he verbally lets me have it for not being spiritual. He then tells me this, my job in the body of Christ is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. <laughs> That's what he told me. I'm like, how come every time I'm around you, Alan, it seems like all you do is afflict me. I mean, anyway, I have to get some of these things off my chest so I can function and be healthy. That's what preaching is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so Paul says, don't be guilty of being like a trap. It is not a spiritual gift. You, you shouldn't be going around Setting a trap for other Christians to fall into. Yeah, we got them, didn't we, Ethel? Totally nailed them. No, don't do that. Uh, and if you're Ethel, I apologize. It's, it's a fictitious name. So, verse 14. Paul says, I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing in is unclean in and of itself. Now, these are all perfect tense verbs in Greek, which means a past act with an abiding result. It's not used much in Greek. So, when you see perfect tense, you know it's like an ironclad thing. Paul says, I as a Jew who used to be all about laws, rules, and regulations when it came to food... I'm over that. Jesus fulfilled the law. I know that the idol is nothing. You know, so if you sit down and have meat that was offered to the temple of Zeus, it's no issue to me. I, I, it's no problem for me. So Paul says, I'm convinced that that's not an issue. But then he, he's going to tell us something here in just a minute. But you have to ask yourself, like, where did he get this kind of thinking from? Well, he got it from Jesus. Here's what Jesus said about things, external things. Mark 7, Jesus summoned the crowd again to him and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. And I'll connect the dots on this. He says, nothing that enters from outside can defile that person, but the things that come out of, from within are what defile. We get this all wrong. We think spirituality is, well, it's, it's, all, these, it's all these do's and don'ts. You know, do they have a tattoo? Psh, it can't be spiritual. You know, how many tattoos do they have? Well, they have more than three. If you have more than three, you're not spiritual. Oh, Okay. Yeah, they've got a sleeve. Totally, they don't know God. That type of thing. See, we develop all these things. And what did Paul say? It's not the external things. It's, it's the internal things. Jesus said this as well. It's the internal things that come from your heart. Pride, arrogance, all that stuff. The jealousy, coveting, all the evil stuff from the inside. So Paul says, as a mature believer, I don't have a problem with the external things anymore because I've come to terms with those things. So he says at the end of verse 14, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. So if you used to be a Christian who used to worship at the temple of Zeus or Apollos or whoever, uh, now that you're a Christian, you can't even eat the meat in the local giant because you know it was devoted, dedicated to Zeus. Well, then I can, I can handle that if that's what you're convinced of. He says, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking in love. He said, it's all about love. See, what did... What did Eudodi and Senteki forget about over the nursery thing? Love. I'm supposed to love. See, love would say, I don't decorate this thing behind my sister's back. That's not love. That's underhanded, etc. He says, it's, it, you got to walk according to love. Do not destroy with your food or your freedom, 
him who, for whom Christ died. So don't push the issue, Paul, Paul says, uh, to an extreme where you are destroying your Christian brother. Don't be a problem for other saints. Move on and, and do, greater, do greater things. Uh, several um, uh, well, months ago, it was about a year ago, uh, we had some friends come through town uh, who, I know their background. I know they, they don't like wine at all, ever, because alcoholism runs in their family. I totally get that, all right? That didn't run in my family. Uh, my family didn't even drink when I grew up, and I don't drink either. But I don't have an issue if you have a glass of wine if we go out to dinner. It doesn't bother me, because I'm a strong saint. Uh, and I know you have freedom and liberty to do that. Uh, but if that's, if that's a problem for you, then I wouldn't, you know, then I'm not for that in that situation. But so I'm going to try to be like Paul. But we knew these, these friends were coming over to stay at our house. And um, uh, we have a couple extra bedrooms that we let friends come to stay in to see DC. And so uh, they were coming. And I knew that they, they're totally anti-anything. Wine, nothing. Uh, and so in our dining room was a, a little wine rack with maybe four bottles of wine. So I have options as a Christian. Because Liz and I had this discussion. So the, the, the decision is, we have this family coming, knowing this is an issue for them. I'm not supposed to be an obstacle, right, to another Christian, a problem for them in an area that's gray. So do we leave it there in the dining room for them to see while we're eating? Or do we move it? I didn't use the word hide, but relocate. <laughs> yeah. Now the military just goes straight for the juggler. Yes. Um, so... Uh, so, so we had this discussion. Liz and I had this discussion. Keep it there. So, so arrogance would say, I'm just going to leave it there. That's their problem. And when they see it, we'll, I'll just tell them, you need to grow up in this area. Is that the way you build a friendship? No. And, and so we moved it. Relocated it. <laughs> what did you say? We hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so hard to preach. So we, we moved it to the basement. We moved to the basement while they were visiting with us. And we, we never had that as a problem. Right? Because isn't that what it's supposed to be? I mean, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Not, not create an issue uh, for my brother in Christ or sister in Christ. And so we decided that, that it's, it's best just to, well, to, to move them. Uh, even though, you know, if somebody comes to my house that doesn't have an issue with that and we serve them a glass of wine, it's not an issue to me. But if it's an issue to another family, I'm not doing that. Because it's, it's all about love and respect, right? Unity key number seven. Uh, don't focus on the externals, but on the internals. He says in verse 16, therefore, do not let what is uh, good for you to be spoken of as evil. Translated, if you have freedom in a given area and you're exercising your freedom, but you're not paying attention to the people around you, they're going to start talking about, wow, they're totally enjoying the gray area and talk evil about you, bad about you. Don't live in such a way that your freedom is talked down. He says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not external. But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, for he who in this way serves Christ, he's acceptable to God and approved by men. What is he saying? He's saying, it's not, spirituality is not about the external stuff. It's not about laws, rules, and regulations. See, the person who loves laws, rules, and regulations will say, I am spiritual because I do or don't do all these things. Now, it's not about the list, which can be lengthy for that kind of person. It's about the heart, the inner heart. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, great Christian apologist, uh, who's now with the Lord, uh, wrote a book called uh, True Spirituality back in 1971. And I read it years ago on, uh, yes, there were Christians alive in 1971. Uh, How do you live a spiritual walk? Read that book. In this book, he says, we do not come to true spirituality or true Christian life by keeping a list. But neither do we come to it by merely rejecting the list and then shrugging our shoulders and living a looser life. Balance. 
says, however, eventually the Christian life and true spirituality are not to be seen as an outward act at all, but inward. He said the climax of the Ten Commandments is the Tenth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 17, which says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, his, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not covet that. He says the commandment is not, not to covet is an entirely inward thing. So you can say, uh, do we have any idols in our house? No. You can look at all the other commandments and go, we don't do these things. So uh, we must be holy. And he says, you can't, you can't get by the 10th one. It's a tough one because it's internal. And so he says, true spirituality is dealing with the, with the inner man about inner things. So that when you do move the wine so you don't offend a Christian family, you have built a bridge over to them. And when you do that, this is a righteous thing, which leads to peace between you. And then there's joy in your home our church, because you were flexible and conscientious about the other family. Is that you? That's what, he, that's what he's saying. So think about your Christian liberty. Live in such a way that your Christian liberty is not spoken of as evil. So let's go back to what I talked about uh, two sermons ago. Can a Christian go to a non-Christian concert? You don't sound too convinced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but think about it, okay? Okay, so... Should you go see Steely Dan? I know if you're younger, you're going, what is that? <laughs> okay, so should you go see Steely Dan? Mm, yeah. How about Kansas, if they roll through town? I know these guys are all on oxygen tanks and walkers and stuff, but okay, so, because <laughs> I've gone to all these concerts. Okay, so uh, ZZ Top, Foreigner, I've been there. Sticks, listen, I've been there. Sticks, S-T-Y-X, you know Sticks? Yeah, and awesome piano music too, by the way. Sticks, yeah. Um, Eddie Money, well, you can't see him because he's dead. Uh, so, but yeah, I've been to these. I've seen Eddie Money back in the day and stuff like that. So, uh, am, I, am I free to show up there? Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not doing anything immoral when I'm there. Uh, and the, the music, I, it's not that bad of music. But, but then you start using your brain as a Christian as you mature. So, you start asking yourselves like this. So, like, so if ACDC came through town on a final tour, would I go? Uh, well, that's a whole nother thing. Why, why would I probably not go to that one? Well, what are they doing? Well, if you YouTube any of their concerts, uh, you're going to see they're all showing up with little hats on with red horns sticking out, red horns on the stage. Uh, it's all about the devil, is it not? If you saw me there, what would you be thinking? What I would be thinking, why are they here? <laughs> see, there's no way I'm going there because uh, I know the kind of songs that they sing. Like, Highway to hell. No stop signs, no speed limits, nobody's going to slow us down. All my friends are going there. That's what I want to go listen to? So what does is, what is, what is Prudence say? I'm not going to that one. We're going to Santana. <laughs> but even Santana can have issues when you start looking at their, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, Kevin? Yeah, you start looking at all their graphics and stuff like that. It's like a bit over the top. So it's using your brain. I never said this stuff was easy, Right? The legalist says it's easy, but it's not easy when you try to live in a, in a gray area to God's glory. Uh, it's not simple. But Paul says, don't focus on the externals. Focus on the internals. What's your heart? Pursuing the righteousness of God. There. Uh, number eight, uh, be a builder, not a blaster. Be a builder, not a blaster. Some Christians are, I just blow up Christian relationships. Again, it's my spiritual gift. <laughs> no, it's not. Because I've run into all of these people. And we may laugh now, but when you're in the middle of one of these situations, it's not fun. 
But there's blasters. What does Paul say? Verse 19, in gray areas. So then we, we the mature, pursue the things which make for shalom, peace, peace, and for the building up of one another, which is also translated in the New Testament, edification. We're there to edify and build up other Christians. That's all Christians. All Christians should have this as a goal. You only live to build up and encourage other Christians. Well, I'm a glass kind of half empty kind of person. That's not okay. Because you're going to tear people down. You need to build people up. And so Paul says, if you come to a gray area, think about how in this area can I build this other person up? So let's go back to the nursery situation. I had one person that wanted to be a builder. I had one person that wanted to be a blaster. You see what I mean? So what should the blaster have done? Should have said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for coming there on the weekend. I'm sorry for what I did. And I painted blue. I mean, not made it an issue. But, but as you understand, it's not, it's not in the Bible, but it's, it's a wise thing. Because Pastor Michael uses it all the time. Sometimes the juice is not worth the toys. <laughs> and you thought that was in the Bible? It's not. No. So some situations you just have to walk away from after you try to you know, eradicate the problem. But he says, pursue peace. Do, do you pursue peace? So if you are a rigid kind of person, then you put me in a situation where I tend to be more about laws, rules, and regulations. But do I live for peace? Because if you live for peace, that's good. That's spiritual. If you are a, a person who enjoys your Christian liberty more, but do you use it too much to where there's not peace around you? Paul says, always think about not just love in this situation, but, but what is peace? I submit to you another situation about a family who did not understand the concept of peace because they were blasters. All my illustrations are over here behind this monitor this week. I submit to you the LA Dodgers, okay? I know it's painful. Just go with it. Up in the balcony, they can't see this, but okay. So LA Dodgers, uh, God's team, blue for heaven, white for holiness. It's the same. So anyway... And I had people trying to convince me otherwise after each service. They're not worried about the sermon. They're worried about the hat. I'm like, give it up. Because uh, my baseball, uh, my coach, uh, when I was in high school, uh, played for the Angels, uh, AAA ball club. Then he was drafted in Vietnam, became a Green Beret, et cetera. Uh, but, so I understand the Angels, you know, trying to be God's team. But they're not. It's really the Dodgers. But anyway, so how could a hat become a spiritual issue? Forget the name of the team. Just the baseball motif. How could that become a problem in a church? No, oh, it did. Uh, there was a, a family one time that had a young man. He was about six foot four, six foot five. He loved baseball and he lived in this hat. I used to live in these hats when I was younger. You just pride. And so he lived in that hat and he wore it to church on Sunday. Remember, he's tall. Where do you think he sat? Front, like second row. And he sat in the front with his family, mom and dad, and he's really tall. And so when he would stand up, he would block the view of the senior citizens behind him. And so they would do what senior citizens would do, you know. They'd reach up and just tap him on the shoulder. That's what seniors do, right? Because they know you're not going to start a fight with them or anything. I mean, you know, so, so they just tap him on the shoulder. Uh, young man, could you, could you take the hat off? No, I ain't taking my hat off. I love my hat. I love my team. Okay, is he freeing Jesus to wear that hat? Mm-hmm. I see none of you have hats on this morning. Yeah, you're really not going to wear a hat after I'm through with this point. But so he's free in Jesus to wear that. So he's like, I'm not going to take my hat off. I like my hat. So he left his hat on. So the, the senior citizens went and did the next best thing. They got an usher. Now, could you tell that young man to take that hat off? We can't see the podium and the pastor. 
So the ushers went and talked to the parents to talk to the son. Uh, and the young man said, I already told those ladies, I'm not taking off my hat. Well, this went on for several Sundays. He continued to sit in the same spot, wouldn't take off his hat. So uh, the old ladies went to the uh, elder board. So there's an issue in the church. You need to address this. What is it? I mean, some deep theological issue? No, it involves a baseball hat. Are you kidding me? And so the elders addressed the parents and said, uh, you, you need to tell your son out of, out of respect, not, you know, at least take the hat off. Uh, the parents said, how dare you tell us how to raise our son? Who are you to tell us? Start a huge brouhaha over a baseball hat. The parents left the church with the son in tow. After they charged, got into a huge argument with church leadership. And you think gray areas are no issue at all? Oh, yeah. Remember I told you at the beginning, most issues in gray areas happen in the most mundane, illogical places you could possibly imagine and destroy fellowship. What should the young man have done? He should have picked the L.A. Dodgers. It would have been okay. No, he just... (laughs) He, he should have, he, he should have, he should have like taken it off, right? And then like, who wears a hat to church anyway? How I was raised is like, you step into God's house with God's people. It's a sign of respect, no hats. But, you know, they weren't paying attention to what Paul said about a gray area. So don't, don't exploit your gray area in such a way that you blast people. That's not, that's not spiritual. And then I'll close quickly with two final points. Unity key number one, nine Don't knowingly do things in gray areas which will bother others. Young man didn't get that memo. Paul says, all things indeed are clean, but they are evil for a man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Translated, Paul says, I understand that, you know, a gray area where meats are dedicated to idols, it's no big deal for me. But if it's a big deal for you, then I'm not going to eat that in your presence and push you. I won't do that. So don't do anything in a gray area that will push your brother. In Christ. And the last unity key principle, verse 22 and 23, says the face which you have has, has as your own conviction be, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. What does that mean? Well, he's talking about your conscience again. He's now telling you twice. Follow what your conscience is telling you. It's that voice that's telling you, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You, you shouldn't be painting that room yellow. You shouldn't be doing that with the peanut butter. You shouldn't be putting that hat on. See, that's your conscience is telling you. Whatever you're, so if it's in a gray area and your conscience is telling you that it's okay, then Paul says, you're going to be happy if you enjoy your freedom. But he says on the other side of the equation, he who doubts in a gray area is condemned if he eats because he's eating not from faith and whatever is not from faith, it's sin. You have two kinds of Christians in the church. Strong Christian, when it comes to a gray area, uh, their faith is a little more fluid, a little more freedom. You know, on the other side of the equation, you have a weak Christian, an immature Christian, that they have a problem with that because of their past life, etc. And so for them, it's like, I can't do that. So both are acceptable to God. And the most important thing that they must all focus on, which is what we must focus on, are two words. Am I doing what I'm doing for love for them? Right? What's the other thing Paul said? You remember the sermon? It was just a few minutes ago. That I, that, I sh- that I shouldn't be doing anything that's going to tear down another Christian or tear down a church. That peace is what we pursue at all costs. Let's pray. God, thank you. Your word is not boring. Uh, in fact, it's very convicting and it shows us exactly what we are to do. Uh, help us have the wisdom to know how to flesh out uh, all the details of this great chapter into the various uh, nooks and crannies of our lives which can have so many complex problems. We haven't even addressed all of them. 
Uh, but may you give us great wisdom how to connect the dots between these, these key principles and how we should live and to live not to our uh, glory, but to your glory. May you fill our church with even more unity and peace than we've had. May you fill our relationships with great peace and unity and guard us from uh, being divided over things that really don't matter and to live in such a way that we uh, attract many people to the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful day with your family. Just stay out of crosswalks, please. And- <laughs>